0: Canada is our neighbor to the north. I have quite a bit of familiarity with Canada due to the fact that I've visited seven times and I have a lot of friends who live up there or have lived up there in the past. And Canada's economy seemed to have peaked relative to the U.S. in the early 2000s to about the early 2010s when a commodity boom propped up the Canadian dollar that pretty much got to parity with the USD. But since then, Canada's economy has struggled, and they have seemed to face a lot of structural problems that really are a byproduct of a policy direction that the country clearly wants to go. Welcome to Analyze Finance Nick. I'm Nick Pardini from Davos Macro Research, which is a macroeconomic and global macro investment-focused research company that helps advisors and institutional investors navigate the world. And I am here to talk about the economic future of Canada. Is Canada in trouble or is Canada in a much better shape than other developed nations? First, let's talk about what drives Canada's economy because the drivers of Canada's economy Paradoxically, are also the main problems of Canada's economy. The three main drivers of Canada's economy are natural resource extraction, housing, and government spending. There's something that all three of these have in common is that none of them are value-add and they're mostly rent-seeking. The natural resource extraction Is really only an opportunity because Canada is blessed with an abundance of natural resources, particularly oil and minerals. Canada's housing market is imbalanced because of policy decisions and the policy-driven tightness in the housing market supposedly creates value by having properties continuing to go up faster than inflation. And then the third is government. Government doesn't really produce anything. They just redistribute uh, tax revenue to whatever they decide to spend the proceeds of that tax revenue on. They're literally collecting a rent on their people's incomes and other forms of taxation. Housing is literally collecting a rent on shelter. And natural resource profits are collecting a rent on naturally endowed products that are in the ground, unrefined. So if you combine all three of these, natural resources is about 18% of GDP, housing, which is about 20% of GDP, real estate just combined, all the ancillary services as well, and government spending, which is about 20 to 23% of GDP, combined the three are over 60% of Canada's economy. And I think the government housing numbers are actually understating things. So it's probably more concentrated than that. And you can't really build a country of being landlords if there is no productive capacity for the tenants to pay the ever-rising rent. So first, we have to kind of go down with these three pillars and why I think each of them are at risk. First, let's start with natural resources. Uh, Canada has abundant of natural resources, regulate oil. But the problem really is is that environmentalist policies in Canada, which are similar to the levels of the U.S., surprisingly for as politically progressive of a country Canada is, their environmental policies really aren't any stricter than their neighbors to the south on things such as mining and energy extraction. Uh, both countries actually have blocked major pipelines, which is the U.S., the Keystone Pipeline in Canada, the proposed pipeline from Alberta to the West of British Columbia to be able to ship tar sands oil into the Asian market. And, uh, the point being is, is that one commodity prices get, need to be high in order to make these mines and oil wells profitable, particularly oil sands. Cause oil sands and the conversion of oil sands into usable, uh, gasoline and other applications, is a lot more expensive than conventional drilling and even a lot of fracking in the United States would be. So, And also, since they are limited to where they can ship that oil sands mostly to the United States due to blocking of building the pipeline from Alberta to BC, they have a relatively captive market, so the pricing power isn't as strong as other sources of oil in the world. And so as a result, you need relatively expensive oil to maximize the profitability of the oil stand and you need relative expensive prices of mining of minerals for the mining industry to be profitable enough to keep incomes high enough in Canada to sustain the rest of the country's economy. Uh, as the world gets more efficient in its manufacturing, uh, it it puts a downward pressure, at least on the real price of commodities. Normally, commodities can go up if the currency weakens enough. I mean, that's really what happens when you have large stretches of inflation, such as in the 70s and just the last couple of years. But commodities, despite having an overall inflated level of the price level, have not really done that much. The only one that's really testing highs right now is gold. Uh, a lot of the grains are down at levels below prior to the Ukraine invasion, which drove them all up. A lot of, of Industrial metals are also trading at lower levels than they did a couple of years ago. So they haven't really benefited as much from the overall inflation as you would expect. Yet the miners' costs through wages and other costs of doing business have increased. And so that's putting a, a clamp on the miners. So that, however, mining and natural resources could be the opportunity for Canada to prosper because if commodity prices are high enough, the profits from these industries can cover up a lot of warts in an otherwise struggling economy. I mean, we've seen this, for example, in Brazil, where during the current President Lula's first time in office from 2003 to 2011, Brazil was booming and had a very prosperous economy, even though it had, at the same time, what would later become exposed as the car wash scandal, which was one of the most uh, biggest levels of graft and corruption of any country in the history of the world uh, was all able to cover up because high oil prices and high um, iron ore prices and high agriculture prices, particularly coffee, elevated the profits of exports for Brazil and covered up a lot of the problems of the economy. Canada, if it worked the same way, if we have a big boom in commodities, high commodity prices and the extra revenue from exporting these commodities can cover up a lot of otherwise bad economic policies. Uh, Since commodity prices aren't that high, uh, Trudeau does not have the same fortune as Lula did in his first reign in power. And even with Lula himself, which I'll just have to do a future video on Brazil, is not doing as well economically in his first term just because he doesn't have commodity prices moving in the direction that's favorable to his country. And so that's part one. I think the that one is really the solution is just pray that the commodities market moves the right way. The second pillar is the role of government in Canada. Canada's government spending is significantly higher than the U.S. Its tax rates are significantly higher than the U.S. Its level of regulation in economy, as the as outside of the natural resource industry are considerably high in the U S and the ethos of Canada favoring a more of social equality and a more generous welfare state ahead of maximizing economic growth and opportunity is also, um, makes it less competitive than the U S and the results of this tight, this structural, uh, direction in canada for being a more egalitarian less i would say capitalist driven economy than its neighbors of the south has had consequences first uh, real wages are considerably lower in canada than the u.s entrepreneurship growth is considerably lower in canada than the u.s uh, canada doesn't have nearly as many major publicly traded companies as the U.S. Uh, in terms of companies with market caps of $10 billion or greater. I mean, they do have some, but they have far less than even the state of California, which has the same population as Canada, less than the state of Texas, which is smaller than the population of Canada. So it's not – and Canada, the California has progressive politics too. So it's not just because of that. Uh, also, this does lead to a brain drain. If you're an ambitious and educated person and you want to maximize your economic opportunity in terms of wages, if you're working for somebody else, or the opportunity to build and grow a business uh, relatively unencumbered, you move south to the US if you have a chance. Uh, We've seen this with Elon Musk. When he first came to America, he came to Canada and left to the United States as soon as he could. You've seen this with a lot of Canadian celebrities who've built their careers primarily in the United States, most famous of these chip carry it's a lot of other Canadian entrepreneurs who have done similar things, including one of my mentors who taught me the profession is fits in this example. He's from Canada and he moved to New York to build his career in finance. My own grandfather is an example of that. When he first came to the U S from Switzerland, not to, sorry, to North America, for instance. He moved to Montreal in Canada. But as soon as he got the opportunity to go to the U.S., he moved to New York, where he met my grandmother and built his life here in the United States. And a lot of my friends, who are more ambitious entrepreneurial types who are from Canada, either have already moved to the U.S. or are doing whatever they can to try to move to the United States. Now, there are... Not every Canadian I know is begging to come to the US, but it's definitely a larger proportion of Canadians who are wanting to move south than Americans who want to move north. Uh, The latter would probably be more politically motivated, whereas the former is definitely more economic motivated, which ultimately is what inspires human action. And so that is a consequence. And then the other consequence is relative economic stagnation and the deleterious effects that this regulation has on the housing market, which is the third. And this is the pill, like the the first two are unlikely to change without major outside forces interfering. I don't think Canada is going to change its government direction to be a more free market style, a more pro-business and less socially progressive country uh, than it was that has been i mean especially because a lot of canadian national ideology is trying to prove that they are different and superior in terms of international opinion to americans and a lot of the international tastemakers tend to have more uh, progressive politics and so if canada goes that way it's kind of a source of national pride like Universal healthcare in Canada is not just a policy, it's a source of national pride. And that's just one example. And so I don't think if you build your national identity, of being be different from the U.S. In a, in, more, in a more kinder and friendlier country than the U.S. and build your reputation on that. It's very hard to go against your nationalist impulse. It's one of the rare countries, actually, where nationalism is a more left-wing movement. In most countries... Nationalism tends to be more of a right wing movement. Uh, the so I don't think the government policy is going to change. Even though the Conservative Party is favored in the polls, I, the spectrum as a whole in Canada is just the origin window is just way further to the left than in the United States. And as we've seen, like if you combine the votes of the NDP and the Liberal Party in Canada, it's usually solid majorities with once in a while the conservatives winning enough seats to have effective control of the parliament, but the electorate structurally favors the other side of the aisle. So I don't really see Canadian politics changing. So the tipping point, if natural resources and Canadian politics are kind of stable and what they're, they mean for the economy, the main leg which can change and cause risk one way or the other is the real estate market and canada has a structurally tight housing market canada has been very generous with immigration for a first world country and canada can afford to do this socially because again most of canada has relatively socially progressive values canada of all my travels, it's the least I would say racially biased country I've been to. It's the least prejudiced country I've been to. It's probably the most um, accepting of multiculturalism. So for immigrants, it's if you if you want just a smooth and um, more softer way to tr- to kind of find a new home in another country, Canada is probably your place to go. Uh, the us probably has more opportunities for immigrants but at the same time the us and just the fact that it's more of a free market where it takes all economy is not as nice or friendly of a place to be for those with more moderate ambition and it could be a much harsher place in general because of that so canada is the most can absorb culturally more immigrants probably than any other country is a percentage of its population. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that they're only building housing at a pace that is half of population growth. Since 2016, Canadian housing supply has increased by 5.7%, whereas um, the population in Canada has increased from 11 to 13%, depending on what source you're looking at. And a lot of these people who are moving to Canada from other countries since most Canada's population growth is driven by immigration are young people in their 20s and 30s who are looking to form new families of their own and therefore need to have housing on their own and not just live with existing relatives so this creates a major squeeze especially since Canada's population is way more concentrated in the US 90% of Canada's population lives within 100 miles of the US border And 50% of Canada's population lives in the metro areas between Montreal and Toronto. And Canada is much more urbanized than the United States. And the cities are the places that have the most restrictions for property development. And so all these people are moving to the greater Toronto area, Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, etc. And the market is just not catching up with, um, in terms of new home construction, with the amount of inflows you expect housing prices to be out of control. And Canada is up there with Australia and New Zealand of having some of the highest price-to-income ratios of any developed economies. And Canada's housing market has gotten so bloated, it's now 20% of GDP. And the new Canadian dream is to save up enough money to buy houses or apartments and then just retire off of the rents you have from it once you buy your second property or by selling it and all the appreciation that's not really value created that's the problem like with Canada like all three of these things are not that I've told you about are not value created business like investment in physical capital per person in Canada is 20% lower than in the U.S. Uh, Canada's investment in business spending has gone down since 2000 whereas the U.S. it's gone consistently up so they're not really investing in Entrepreneurship, they're not investing in in capital equipment to improve the efficiency of their workers. They're not really investing in growing businesses outside of the natural resource industry and housing. And so, you're basically all your capital flows are going into real estate, uh, like how most like and that. But housing is not a productive asset in the sense that it you, it creates more value just from building. If you build a machine on a factory that makes, I don't know, cars, for example, the factory creates value by being able to build something you either couldn't previously or create more output than you would with previous tools. Whereas buying a house is the value is the same as it was before. The house provides shelter for somebody to live in, whether it's yourself or a tenant you rent it to. And this is kind of what happened in lost Asian countries during the Asian crisis, uh, or Japan during for its bust, is that capital was diverted from productive assets and productive investment projects to non-productive speculative projects such as real estate. And so that is precisely what is happening. in not because they've seen this rates of appreciation for housing, and it's like. Look, like all I have to do is just buy a house, and it will go up in value because of all the immigration. Why would I bother to take risk and invest in something that uh, has a chance of failure, or that may not be able to generate as consistent of a return as just throwing it into the real estate market? And so, this is how you get housing bubbles, and this is how you get Dutch disease, which is all can depend overly dependence on one or two commodities or again non-productive assets and this is what happened in the Asian crisis when you had a bunch of countries such as Thailand who were the speculative capital is going into speculative real estate projects and not into increasing the capital stock and growing the economy. So what what the thing is is that housing can work just fine as a driver of the economy, As long as the housing market keeps going up once it turns down this will all unwind itself quickly lead to defaults in the housing sector which will put the banks at risk and since Canada doesn't have 30 year fixed mortgages like the US their rates reset every five years so there's a real risk in the next few years if interest rates don't get slashed that Canadians are going to have a major refi problem coming and Canada's really only solved its housing prices for making mortgages more acceptable and reducing down payments and other requirements and other demand-driven approaches. They haven't really done any supply-side approaches to fix the housing market. You see the consequences of this um, in wages. Like, Canadian GB per capita is less than 70% that of the U.S. Like, if I want to hire a UX designer in Canada, I could pay them $70,000 a year to work remote for me. Whereas in the US, that same one would be $120,000 a year at minimum. And that might be the opportunity for Canada is labor arbitrage. Uh, because Canada's education system is similar to the US. Canadians are similar culture to the US. The value, their, their inherent skills are probably about the same as the U.S. if they're willing to apply themselves and if they had granted the same resources as an American worker. So if you are an American or some other foreign company or country that has higher wages in Canada, you could probably make a good profit or have material cost savings in your labor structure if you hire Canadian employment. And Canadians have managed, compared to European countries and Australia, who also have considerably lower wages in the U.S. in terms of their time zone. Because except for the Maritimes, the Canadian time zones for its country match with the U.S. given it's just north of the U.S. border. So the thing is that housing, I think, is going to tip over. And the counter is, oh, well, Canada some of the safest banks in the world. They didn't have any problems in 2008. That's because Canada's housing market didn't unwind like the U.S., and a lot of that safety and collateral is based on the assumption that Canadian real estate is a stable asset. If that assumption breaks, Canada's banks break and become just as distressed as the European banks across the Atlantic. So I wouldn't really take solace in that. Uh, Overall, what is the bottom line for Canada? uh canada is gonna remain a developed country because it's in the u.s's geopolitical interest that it does uh also canada does have plenty of natural resources and they could and a lot of their problems are self-inflicted they're a product of government policy that encourages brain drain whether it's their houses are more affordable unaffordable than the u.s especially relative to their wages with their wages are considerably lower than the U S and their taxes are considerably higher than the U S. So the real after tax living standards in Canadians is lower. And also that doesn't even factor the fact that most of Canada is bone chilling coal in the winter. And if you could move to better climates in a lot of in most of the United States compared to Canada, uh, especially to escape those harsh winters. So, you have a lot of if you economic policies that encourage your best and brightest to move out. You have immigration allowing too many people in that cannot catch up to your housing supply, or you simply just have too many NIMBY type regulations that prevent housing to catch up with your population growth. You got to fix it one way or the other, and as a result, you just have built a country that used to be relatively productive into one of just rent seekers whether it's rent seekers through the prop artificial scarcity of the property market or rent seekers from extracting natural resources or rent seekers from working for the state there's not enough productivity. Canada has some of the lowest productivity rates in the first world for other reasons mentioned before unlike say like Egypt which I talked to in a previous video Canada's problem is fixable Uh, it's just going to require the pain of a housing bust or the pain of reallocating a lot of relatively unproductive members of the workforce to fix it. Uh, Canada has gone through short-term pain before to make meaningful economic reforms such as did in the early 1990s, uh. It did risk the sovereignty of Canada through the Quebec referendum around then, which was, I think, partially sparked by some of the economic pain that Canada had to go through to restructure its economy. But the fact that they've been proven they've been able to do it before means they can be able to do it again. The question is, does Canada have the political will to damage the property values of their country and hurt the retirement nest eggs of their uh, property-owning class in order to have a healthy and sustainable future in the long run. That's what I think most of Canada's problems could be solved with the combination of a housing bust and making the business regulatory environment slightly more competitive, discouraged, brain drain. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, Canada has elections coming up. That could change things, but I think that the pain of the housing, the housing market busting will probably drive the reforms more than the other way around. Uh, if you like what we talk about on this channel, uh, please like, subscribe, and share, and check out our memberships if you want to support what we're doing. Thank you for watching.